Welcome back. We are well on our way through our first day here at Elite Business Live. And just to say thank you uh, for tuning in. It's an unusual one, this one, isn't it? Here we are coming to you live from central London to wherever you might be in the UK or beyond. And speaking of beyond, creeping up towards us is our next conversation around going global, something many of us might have been thinking about over the last 12 months whilst we've been grounded essentially, haven't we? Thank you for joining us. Uh, this is a really packed couple of days. So I'm speaking to you on the Thursday, but of course we've got all sorts planned for tomorrow, Friday, a full day back to digital transformation, getting the right kind of finance in your business, and also thinking about people, culture, talent. Also this phrase, good growth, will be coming up again. What does a more responsible way of growing look like? And what are some of the biggest reflections that come off the back of this pandemic? for some of the business leaders that have navigated their way through it. On that last panel, Richard Behrman heads up Startup Loans. Don't forget, if your business is less than two years old, that will only apply to a few watching, but you could qualify for a startup loan. What struck me about that conversation was that the cash comes with a human in the form of a mentor, which seems to me to be the enlightened way for funding going forward. And I can't help but think that more organizations should get in on that design, if you like. It also got me thinking throughout the morning about where you go when you wanna find, not the advisor necessarily, but your peer group, your tribe, if you like. So organizations like Vistage have been coming to my mind because I guess what they do is they sit you down, don't they? Around a table, around a virtual table on a regular basis. So you can go a bit off record sometimes about what's really affecting you personally and your business. So if you know good examples of that, please pass them on. I've benefited hugely from EO. I've seen at a distance YPO over the years, but also admiring the Institute of Directors, Vistage, even private members clubs, left, right and centre, dotting up across the UK. But what does the future of that look like? Because sometimes we know that the reality isn't all positive and shiny. So we want to hear about the reality check as well. About 10 years ago, uh, I was sitting in London thinking about going global myself. I was hearing all sorts of stuff talked about Silicon Valley and I'd never been. And it was at that moment I decided to start what became Web Mission, taking groups of entrepreneurs on a voyage, if you like, to do deals, particularly in the Bay Area in the Western US. And um, it was on that journey and one of those missions that I traveled alongside Hannah Previtt, who's my co-host today at Elite Business Live. So Hannah is grilling all of our guests today face to face. Many years later, I wrote with a group of characters to Lord Young, David Young of, Gra of Grafham, to say, uh, can we have a coffee just to shoot the breeze to talk about entrepreneurship in Britain? Four weeks after that meeting, we co-founded Startup Britain with the Prime Minister, and off the back of that, Startup Loans was born. Now, we don't claim the credit for that, but it's good to see that scheme has supported so many people. So it's funny how things come full circle. Um, on the theme of overseas expansion, I wonder what's on your mind. I wonder what your questions are. And crucially, it's been something I've been thinking about for a long time. If I want to launch a product or service in another country, perhaps thousands of miles from home, do I really need boots on the ground? And if I do want boots on the ground, whose are they? Should I parachute someone in from the UK or should I hire locally? Also, let's be honest, if you've tried to go global and made a mistake, what did you learn? And would you be prepared to talk about it to an audience of your fellow business leaders? 
That's one of the questions that's going to be on my mind today as we get ready to introduce our next keynote in just a few seconds' time. Well, here we are at Elite Business Live. I'm Ollie Barrett, your co-host for the session, because this afternoon we are going global. Uh, you tuning in may well produce a product or indeed a service. And I wonder how many of your customers are right here in the UK. Well, if I give you an example, that my next guest exports just under 90% of what they produce across over 100 countries, you'll get an idea that this is somebody who has truly gone global. They've been recognized with a Queen's Award, uh, for which we should certainly congratulate them, but they are a high-exporting, advanced manufacturer. And it's very intriguing, the sort of stuff that would probably be better suited to a James Bond film in some cases, given its global reach and its ability particularly to keep some very special vessels safe. I won't steal his thunder, but it is my pleasure to welcome to the stage Carl Stephen Patrick Hunter, the founder of Coltrico Ultrasonics. Welcome, Carl. Hello, Ollie. Good day to you. Thank you so much for being with us. Pleasure. Now, personal question, Carl. Has it been a little odd to be grounded yourself over the last 12 months, given that you are a global businessman? No, it's been a delight. Has it? Yes. <laughs> I've spent 20 years uh, traveling to 20, 30, 40 countries a year. So this has actually been a great time of reflection and change. So you've not missed those business lounges then? I've missed some aspects of them, but no, in the main I haven't. Congratulations on the Queen's Award. Thank you. By the way, other than recognition, do you sense that this sort of recognition can be good for a business in terms of how it does its day-to-day -day work? Uh, I think I define this company as the sum of the individuals within it. So I see that award as a recognition for the wider company team, yeah. not, not me exclusively. I, I, think, and I think it's a stellar award to receive. And I have to tell you that you're very kind about me, but uh, you've done brilliantly in your career as well. But that Queen's Award was one, something that we had applied for before. Yeah. So it was particularly gratifying to get it, having not, not, not received it yes. in the past and then to receive it. And to keep yeah. going. Good. Yeah. Well, look, I know you've got messages galore uh, for our audience uh, today, but just thank you for all that you've done. And uh, I'm looking forward to making quite a few notes, to be honest. So, Carl, okay. Stephen, Patrick, Hunter, thank you. And thank you. Uh, with that, over to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, good afternoon, everybody. It's a great pleasure to see you. Thank you, Hannah and Jordan and so many people who've helped organize today. Firstly, I'd like to thank you for your commercial and public service during COVID-19. In the years to come, I believe that uh, we will be so grateful to our monarch, uh, ministers, diplomats, our parliamentarians, civil servants, our companies, and above all, our people and government. And I think we will look back with some pride at how we've done. The success of the vaccine programme, certainty following the trade and cooperation agreement with the EU and the Prime Minister's 10-point plan offer great stability and hope for our country. I look forward to the United Kingdom becoming the first advanced economy to emerge from COVID-19, implementing its global Britain, build back better and levelling up agendas, its forthcoming integrated review, reaching 2.4% of GDP in R&D to create us as a science superpower and our success for the government's new Advanced Research and Invention Agency. As Ollie said, Coltraco Ultrasonics is a high-exporting advanced manufacturer and now a third-generation family company. We export to 120 countries and, and specialise in the commercialisation of leading scientific research. 
During COVID-19, we developed two instruments, in fact, which are now in manufacture and I believe will become world-leading. Our research and development team was externally assessed by uh, government as outstanding for the first of these and the second derived from it, and I'll touch on that in a minute. Both determine the leak sites, the airflow rates, and the air permeability factors in an intuitive tablet-based instrument. The first of these is called Porter Scanner COVID-19, designed for the NHS hospital staff to use in, to contain inf infection, inf in infection contagion in negatively pressurised ICU hospital wards. This was a direct result of the government's COVID-19 emergency technology funding last year and awarded through Innovate UK. That led to the second, which was Porter Scanner Airtight 520, which enables safe working in safe buildings by monitoring a building's air tightness and that, thus its ability to properly ventilate. Anyway, looking back a year ago today, uh, this date today is indelibly marked in my mind. It was the day we lost 50% of our entire global markets. So after 20 years in business, we weren't sure whether we'd get through the next two to three months. And at the time this happened, this time last year, obviously my first thoughts were, what on earth are we going to do with the wonderful team that we have? In adaption to COVID-19, therefore, we developed something which we now refer to as our resilience, diversification and growth strategy. Reconfiguring our company to become better, faster and cheaper across our global markets and refining every part of our organisation, our sales, marketing, distribution, R&D, production and inventory by applying a complex phrase here coming up, our science, R&D, innovation, manufacturing, certification, commercialisation loop. So as to integrate the commercial with the technical across all levels in the company. I'm pleased to say that as a consequence, we've never entered furlough, we've grown our, our team, and we've created the happiest and most effective company that I've ever seen. In June 2021, looking forward, we will establish a new laboratory at Durham University, co-locating it with the Centre for Advanced Instrumentation and the Department for Physics. Concurrently, we will create a new Durham Research Institute, having just received permission from Durham University, with a long-term plan in acoustics, ultrasound, light, radar, magnetism, information engineering and artificial intelligence. So, in regard to exporting, what have we learnt? I think that we are a case study of innovation and exporting, Ollie, throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. In the next five months of this year, we will be bringing to production 18 new instruments and uh, systems, and we will export them to that same 120 countries that you kindly referred to earlier. We sit as one of 30 businesses in the UK on the government's economic recovery task force, and I can highly commend the civil servants and ministers that are part of that. Yet, as I said, going back on the 11th of March, we lost 50% of our customer base. What follows is the story of how we pivoted in light of the pandemic, we ensured our survival, and then we adapted so that we could thrive through adversity. We believe the measures taken by our business can be a blueprint that others can follow. In the post-COVID-19 economic recovery phase, and the challenges faced by exporter innovator businesses must be addressed by the UK government if it is to meet its ambitions to support exports and innovation. 
Coltraco is basically a world-leading manufacturer of technology in very specialized fields. I don't think I'll bore you any more than that. We export 89% of what we make to 120 countries, and Asia-Pacific accounts for nearly 50% of our exports overall. So you can imagine that when COVID-19 hit last year, that being half of our entire market, um, destabilized our ambitions as they were running at that time, but they in fact led to a great turn. In 2019, as Ollie said, we were awarded the Queen's Award for Enterprise in International Trade for six years of continuous growth in exporting and innovation. Science and the application of fundamental physical principles are understandably at our core, as is our central commercial ability to sell well in domestic and export mar markets concurrently and to be better, faster, cheaper in all that we do as its underlying principle. For instance, on the 11th of March last year, we lost our oil and gas sector overnight because of the oil pr price drop, and we lost 50% of the shipping market as the only ships that were sailing were those that were carrying that cheap oil, and the rest of the uh, ships that were carrying commodities were depressed because Asia was still recovering from its COVID. We had to find a way to break out from our primary core sectors in a very short period of time. And we had to also understand that the technologies that we went into COVID with were not going to necessarily sustain us through it. That drove the development of the resilience, growth strategy, uh, resilience, diversification and growth strategy that we now have. We reconfigured our R&D plan, slimming it down to accelerate to production new systems and halt the R&D on those that didn't fit the, the key criteria that would enable their acceleration. We have already established global leadership positions in the two that I mentioned earlier, and we have hope that we will do the same in the others as a result of this greater uh, applied principle. We created new heads of department. We promoted, uh, I would say, about 30 to 40% of our entire team. We offered soft loans to get them through bad times. We adjusted to them having to homework. We, we made it plain that they could access um, family support from us in the event that they did. Above all, what was the key thing that was driving through my mind was how could we enhance the morale rather than just stabilize the insecurity of the condition, since the company is nothing more than the people within it. And my role in any company that I own is to, de to deliver uh, a, a dynamic environment for those individuals within the company so that we create a profitable and sustainable company and economic hope overall. In our distribution plan, for instance, we, we completely ceased every agreement that we had uh, for, for a few years because we, we set a new criteria from them and we had an ambition to create by the 30th of April uh, next, next month, in fact, uh, 2021, uh, a coverage of about 200 global distributors covering approximately 1,000 individual market sectors in, within a matrix, I mean, across our top 30 to 35 target markets overseas. All the time underlying them with the principle that what we are about is about being better, faster, cheaper than our competitors everywhere. Our ability to adapt saw us win a British government COVID-19 development award in June 2020 to develop the instrument that, for the NHS that I described earlier. That is the first time in the world that a nurse can now use a handheld tablet-based product 
to check that the negative pressurization within a hospital ICU ward will not transfer from that controlled ICU ward into the rest of the hospital. It was probably the biggest single contribution to infection control that technology could allow. That has now enabled us to adapt that technology to enable people to come back to work in large commercial buildings without the worry that that building which lacks air tightness and therefore cannot ventilate properly now can. That product is called Porter Scanner Airtight 520. Going back to the 11th of March, we therefore began a process to endure survival in, front of the, in light of the academic. It took us 60 days to adapt to it, and we have a planning point out to December 2022, which is our planning assumption for economic recovery overall. The first thing that I did as chairman of the company was circulate a note to the company to guarantee their salaries and inject staff confidence and security. From this, we put in a five-phase plan for the recovery of the of the situation and we are now in phase three of it which takes us from the 1st of January to the 30th of April this year and we call this the implementation phase which was really applying all of the lessons that we had accumulated in the period during COVID-19 in 2020. We increased our production rather than decrease it. We built our inventory rather than sell it. And we did that for the simple reason that if we're going to be better, faster or cheaper, one of the things that we had to have confidence in was our abilities to supply quicker than we had before. We looked at every supplier within our 30-year relationships. The ones that it is notable that the ones that did not go into furlough survived and, and, and prospered, and the ones that fell into furlough in our supply chain did not. Since, since the 11th of March last year, therefore, I can say, as the anniversary of a very, very concerning day, we've never entered furlough, we have increased sales, we have employed more people in the company, and we've restructured our organisation from top to bottom. And I hope we've done that in, a, in, a, in an essentially kind manner to everybody involved, though I'm painfully aware that change is difficult for some. We cut all non-core expenditures, so my delightful director of marketing was literally last year being refused every request and I can't commend her more highly uh, enough than for going through that time. We created new processes entirely in the science that we do, the way that we sell, the way that we engage strategically overseas, the way that we manufacture and the way that we, uh, we, we resolve our logistic challenges. We develop new technologies in one-tenth of the time that we ever have done in 20 years. We rapidly move new, new technologies into production. We increase stock by 200%. We reduced by 50% our, our payment terms to suppliers. We increased our pri pricing. We increased our buying prices to our key suppliers as a, as a gesture of gratitude. And we have moved from two to three primary market sectors to 25 overall. We achieved all of this by the six-step innovation feedback loop, which I won't uh, repeat because it'll make you roll your eyes. But broadly, all we did was look in British economic history and find out who did what, when, best. And we found that it was done in England in 1760 during what we call the first industrial revolution, where science was applied to manufacturing and when domestic demand was created to stimulate global demand. 
And that is exactly what we've been doing for the last 365 days since COVID started for us. For any company seeking to innovate and export, I would say, Ollie, that far from thinking that you should be thinking about basing first, you should master this feedback loop first as its essential first step. The barriers to both innovation and exporting persist. Coltraco benefits from in-house R&D capabilities to master innovation obstacles and holds institutional memory on how to manage our exports to existing and new markets. Of the 5.9 million, 5 million UK SMEs, that have, and goodness sake, I wish we would stop calling it the SMEs, I think we should call it the enterprise prosperity innovation sector instead, that have the potential to innovate and, ex and export, such luxuries are not common. For the government to see exporting and innovation to increase as part of our post-COVID-19 economic recovery strategy, it must therefore incentivize exporting and innovation together. And I thank you very much, Ollie, for your warm introduction and my many successes. Congratulations to you for your many successes. Thank you so much, Carl. Um, thank you. I thought that was first class. Thank you very much. Will you stay with us just for a few minutes for some questions and then you're going to join our panel? Um, I noticed you say that um, this is a family business. And I just wonder, it must have evolved so much over the years. I wonder what your ancestors sounds a little grand, but what the founders would have made of the business today. Well, my father was, was, um, would have been incredibly excited uh, because when he started, he, he may have had the scientific aspiration and objective but he didn't have the resource mm. to deliver that. So I think what he did was magical mm. in, sorry. And, and how about the global shape of the business? Um, to what extent is that within its DNA or has that been slightly more recent in its history? No, that was from the off. So uh, America, for instance, is 17% of our global trade. Ah. So as with the United Kingdom as a whole, uh, for us, that is 17% of our entire trade. Yeah. Therefore, we are like to like with our country's exports. Yeah. The EU is 15%, um, Asia Pacific is 40, going to 50, Middle East 10, etc. So yeah. we, we have this, I wake up every morning thinking of how it looks and smells in Tokyo and I go through Bombay and I carry on through uh, Doha and I carry on through the capitals of Europe and end up in Alaska at night. That is how an exporter has to think. Yeah, and in terms of the future trends that you see, where in the world could we in Britain be looking to for inspiration other than all over the world? But there are, are there any particular hotspots where you think, if you want to see the future of global business, look over here. I definitely look at the hundreds of different places that America constitutes. Mm. I'd look at the, um, the leading Commonwealth countries like Australia, New Zealand, Canada, US and UK together, mm. because you have a shared value system and a shared yeah. outlook to the work. Yeah. I'd look at our Commonwealth countries, which interestingly, this year has the combined uh, GDP of the Commonwealth has exceeded the EU for the first time in its history. Yes. Um, and then of course, I wouldn't neglect the opportunities within Europe since the only reason I think they buy from us is because we're better, faster or cheaper than someone else. Yeah, indeed. And so I think we're quite good, aren't we, Carla, um, sort of bashing Britain here in Britain. I, I wonder, without navel-gazing, um, is there a British advantage anymore? Total British advantage, and it's based on rule of law, not for the obvious reasons because so many other people have that, but for the essential reason that that is the greatest enabler of equal opportunity that's ever existed. Mm. And how do you think we're viewed by our brothers and sisters around the world as we come through 
2021. I think they think of us like, they th like I think of you. I think of you as energetic, dynamic, innovative, and ability to make something from nothing. And I think they think that about us collectively. Gosh, well, I hope so. That's, a, that's certainly glass half full. Can I, can I bring you back to what in some business speak would be called a pivot? You saw an opportunity to save lives during the pandemic. Can I just wonder, to what extent are your watchwords around focus versus opportunism with a small O? You take that in the spirit it's intended, but the opportunity to pounce on a big problem worth solving and really make the most of it. Because it seems to me a lot of the success of Cultraco has been in this very laser focus. And yet there you are taking a leap into a new world and saving lives. I think that's absolutely right. I'd say that our pedigree was in saving lives full stop. So yeah. we are in the space of the watertight integrity monitoring of a ship. Sinking remains the number one reason for the ships lost at sea. And then we're in the monitoring of liquefied gases that prevent fire, and fire remains the second reason for ships being lost at sea. So safety is in our, in our pedigree. I think the opportunism is less important than the focus you refer to, yeah. but then you have to have the ability to energize yourself and your team so that you are not frightened by doing the hours. Yes. You can't be so clever and smart that you can reduce this down to a few hours' work. So we, we are back to the days of doing 10 to 12-hour working days, which is fine. It's a crisis. Yeah. Um, but we have to do that to keep, to keep going and to keep our track. If we go back, though, to that sort of boardroom, if you don't mind, discussion, look, there's an opportunity over here. It is not quite out of left field, but you see what I mean. Um, uh, to what extent were there voices in the boardroom saying, why? Let us continue to focus and double down. No, the voices there were how. In yeah. other words, there's the problem which we think we might be able to solve. Can we? Will we? And over what time scale? And the judgment was that we, all of those were yes, and that we could do that in 20 weeks and that we would move into production on it within 28. Quick, very, very quick. And I love the point about shrinking that timeline yeah. now for development yeah. and some of the yeah. secrets of that. Um, it strikes me through something you said uh, in your keynote that you've got the ability not just to look to the future, but to learn from the past. And I wonder in practical terms how we do that because you know, it would be wrong, I think, to bucket that as backward looking. It's the opposite, actually. Yeah, I, did. I think just because we don't always have a great command of the history of who we are oh. does not mean that it doesn't offer a potent, exciting combination of opportunity if we do. So, so you're giving examples of learning from centuries ago. Yes. In some, how do you do it in practical terms? And are your colleagues on board? Are they thinking, oh, here goes Carl again with his history books? I mean, how does it go down? No, not at all. I was talking to our senior physicist today on a train and, he, and I was just trying to ask him, is it mathematically possible to prove how sound behaves in this particular way and how long would it be to mathematically express that? And he said, well, I think it's about three hours work and I can do that by next Thursday. And I think this is, where, this is it's an altogether more fun way of doing it than you may think. Yeah, well, that's very collaborative. So what have you presumably, not to get bogged down in the structure, but you're chairing the organisation You've presumably got a chief exec in post as well. I actually took this COVID as the opportunity to go from chief exec to chairman. Yeah. And I wanted to see who would put their hands up to become that. So that's still an ongoing thing. Okay. So, 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 so in fact, I'm chairman and CEO. No, got it. Okay. So sort of yeah. double at the moment. Okay. And then in terms of somebody tuning in today, and we're going to get more of this in the panel, but you know, you hear this slight cliche of the world is your oyster. How does an organization, let's say with a product that they're proud of and have British customers, 
they frankly, they see the world as their oyster, but that doesn't help them plan where to go first. How do they begin to navigate? So I believe that successful or, or exporting derives from being successful in the UK home market first. Yep. Because you're the fifth largest economy in the world, you're a highly competitive one. Therefore, if you had, let's say, a multi-sectoral plan and that was working in a G5 economy like the UK, that's probably more likely to survive contact with the rest of the world. Yes, yes. If you just leap off into overseas markets without securing your home base first, that may be appropriate. Yeah but it may, may not. And in my experience, it's better to succeed at home to some degree before you go. Got that in terms of timeline. Um, how would they go about the where next answer to that important question? Because as I say, they're spinning the globe. Is it Australia? Is it the Netherlands? You know. Well, as I said, I do it in sequence. Sorry, I, I thought I'd, I would go USA first. Yes, I see. I'd then go the Australia, Canada, New Zealand yeah. route. I'd go wider Commonwealth, yeah. U EU, the Middle East, South America, you know, I would do it in se Africa, I would do it in sequence, but, but, but that's my outlook on yes, that world so, is yeah. drawn from a reasonable amount of years adoring its yeah. understanding. No, got it. Now, we've got some questions coming briefly and we're going to have the panel discussion, excuse me, to follow. Now, here comes a question. When it comes to Gosh. expanding globally, you can see a whole wall yes. of questions. Uh, should businesses take the time to plan their strategy or jump on the opportunity right now? I can see a tension of temptation there to be very opportunistic. What's your measured view? I think it's an excellent question. So um, for most of my career, I've jumped on the opportunity. And I think I have to confess that I now would rather plan it first. Interesting. And yes. who should you have been listening to, talking to, to do that if you had a conversation with your former son? My wife. <laughs> yeah. And why do you say that? Uh, because I think, in, I was trying to tell somebody the other day that if all the mentors that I've met over the years, I look back and wonder why I valued as many of them as I did. <laughs> because I think she'd said it all to me over 30 years ago. <laughs> so she comes back to that. Now let's pick another, I can ask you to pick, uh, pick a question. But here's an interesting question. Yes. How interested, David Chipping, thank you David. Yes. How interested do you think British exporters are in developing trade in the EU post-Brexit? Is it sort of, oh dear, we've all fallen out, haven't we? Should we look over and beyond the EU? You seem to be disagreeing with that earlier. What's your view? I do. I do. I, I think we should be super interested in the opportunities in the EU post-Brexit. We just have to understand at the moment um, that it's a different situation and therefore we have to have a welcoming EU yeah. to achieve what David Chipping, what Mr. Chipping desires. Yeah. And that will come. But at the moment, we're in a very early days of a new relationship of something that was far older. Yeah. So we shouldn't be put off by, the, by these first 90 days because there will probably be any, another 200 until yes. it's settled overall. So have some but of that patience. Yes, have yeah. some of that patience. Yeah, yes. interesting. And that famous phrase, I'm from the government and I'm here to help, is yes. that uh, uh, you know, an enticing offer to you as a global exporter or does that strike the fear of something else into you? Oh, it fills me with absolute excitement. The, uh, I, don't, I honestly, I'm going to say something a bit unfashionable, but you've never... I've worked, with, I've worked in uh, advisory capacities with government now for four years across a number of departments. I can assure you that what you read about in the press about ministers and civil servants is largely untrue. Mm. What you see in the press is the iceberg, the tip of it. Yeah. What you see underneath it, if you are like me, is you see this much greater mass that desires to do good for our country. And that relationship is determined, that government thing is determined by the understanding of the government business relationship 
And that's incumbent on us in business to engage with government in a public-spirited rather than a self-interested way. And is there an example there, Carl, of where government support of one form or another, particularly many miles from home, has really made the difference for the business? Is there an example that comes to your mind? I can think of many. I can think of uh, the convening power of government will be something that business can never replicate or substitute. So that ability to go to an embassy or a high commission to meet a a candidate, customer or or partner is shaped by that diplomatic and governmental backdrop in a way that you and I would find it very difficult to craft. Yeah, very interesting. And my personal experience completely correlate with that, about that door opening. Yes ability right we've just got a couple of minutes uh left so there we go what are right well this is a big question perhaps yes. for, uh, for for the panel but it's um for businesses who wish to expand globally during the pandemic what are the first steps that's an important phrase isn't it? the first steps they can take to ensure success i guess it's probably a that, that old phrase plans are useless but planning is everything i suppose well there's a better one than that which is no plan survives contact with the enemy <laughs> that's right so the first thing that I would do, the first thing that I would do is uh, I would link up with one of the 400 international trade advisors that are at a place near you. Yep. I would register on the .gov.uk exporting website. Yeah. I would then make contact with the Department for International Trade market sector teams, yep. having identified what are the growth countries that coincide with your ability to reach and manoeuvre in them. I think that would be the first few steps, as long as what you've ensured first is that whatever your product or service offering is, I I would commend to you something that's only come to me in the last few years, which is to make sure that you are better, faster, cheaper in what you're offering. And even if you can't be all three today, know why, so that you will in the future. Interesting. So my final question, and you can tell me off afterwards in the green room for asking you this, but you, if nothing else, uh, Carl, strike me as um, wonderfully British. And what I mean by that is, in the best possible way, to what extent have you found success through evolving chameleon-like into different markets or retaining in your core who you are in that Britishness? Where lies success? Well, I believe the merits of being a chameleon is that it is a defensive reaction to threat. I believe the most offensive way, the, the most success that you will have is by offensively dealing with the threat. And therefore, my values have to be consistent in who I am and who I appear. As long as it's grounded in truth, then I should l- embrace the world and in its many diverse forms, yeah. but they have to consider me as part of their world too. Yeah, and it, because it's, it's an interesting wider cultural question, isn't it, about the extent to which we, we learn, evolve our behaviours, our language, um, our, our ways of doing things I- internationally. I guess maybe a reflection or a lesson about how Brits must do business differently, I suppose, is the core of the question. Yes, and I think it's, you know, for me, I grew, I didn't come to England until I was eight or nine. I grew up in various places around it. Therefore, the world was as much a part of me. And England was something I didn't experience until I arrived here. Interesting. And the magic of England can be found. But what we always us to underestimate is that the world views us through magical eyes. Mm. And we see ourselves through critical eyes. And all I would encourage is a greater understanding of the magnificence of us. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a very refreshing reflection, actually, at a time when we've thoroughly beaten ourselves up, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, very good. Uh, Carsten Patrick, kind of thank you so much for joining us. And will you stick around for the panel, if of that's course. all right? Uh, you, you get to take some time off now as well for your future grilling. But thank you so much. Please have a seat. <laughs>